0: Hello and you are most welcome to episode 162 of the Game Pit podcast, a podcast about modern tabletop gaming and a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. My name is Ronan and I am going solo for the second show in a row. So in this show you're just going to be hearing me going through a bunch of games I've played this year trying to catch up on all that time that i was missing from the podcast at the beginning of the year still catching up on those and i'll just chat about a couple of things i backed back uh, a couple of months ago games that have come in to the collection so no sean once again this time around still got some stuff to deal with probably going to be on for a little while but everything's all good if you're missing sean though he is definitely going to be back i know he's gonna be back for next episode because it's already in the can so himself and our annual guest matthew jude have already recorded with me a review of 2020 all the best games disappointments best production all the usual stuff we do so hopefully you're going to enjoy that. It's a much longer episode coming next time around i think the second thing i need to say is the sound quality might not be as good on this episode as hopefully you're used to usually it's okay I don't know what's going on. I think everyone's fed up of looking at the same four walls in West London because I've got three different houses get building work going on all around me. And we, when I've been able to record, I've been trying to do this for about a week and there just seems to be someone destroying a wall somewhere, whenever I'm trying to record. Uh, it's happened this morning. It's quite quiet at the moment, actually. But in order to mitigate some of the background noise, what I've gone is I've done to, gone to my headset rather than my usual sort of amateur setup with cushions set up around a microphone because it was just picking up too much. And there's vibrations through the floor and the walls it was going crazy so yeah west london is definitely building season at the moment apologies if this doesn't found, sound quite as crisp but uh, i had to get someone out to you i've got these games to catch up on i've got to get that review out in a couple of weeks so so let's just crack on and hopefully you'll enjoy some of what i have to say anyway Let's start with these quick reviews. And as I said before, usually Sean and I go quite in depth on games. When it's just me chatting, I'm just going to cover over quickly some thoughts because you don't want to hear me droning on about the same games forever and ever. And I'm going to kick off with Cubitos. I'm going to say Cubitos. That's probably going to sound very English, but there you go. It's a 60 minute game for two to four players. Uh, Designer is John D. Clare, and the publisher is AEG. And the first thing I say, i think is aeg have been on a bit of a roll i have to say that um this is not a review copy anything i bought this one and so did sean they've just been hitting out the park and they've come up with a lot of good games and definitely aeg stock has risen in my eyes recently which is one of the reasons i went to get Cubitos. Well, the other thing is i was hearing a lot of good buzz about it and it was a lot of fun so that's what put it on my radar firstly before i start going to talk about the game itself i think i'm going to note that to me this game owes a lot to a previous AG title from a few years ago, which was Automobiles from David Short. And if you have played automobiles and not Cubitoes, probably as about ten people in the world who have done that. It's an idea where you're building up your own pool. In automobiles, it was cubes. In cubitoes, it was it's dice, but they're cubes of dice of different colours. And it's a race game. They're both race games, and the different colours are going to trigger different powers, and the powers vary from game to game. You've got different setups, so a red cube in one game will be different to a red cube in another game because you can just change what it does. And there's, a, I felt like there was a lot of, of heart here that was the same, a lot of skeleton maybe, and then Cubitoes has gone and changed up. And one of the things you'll hear about that really changes it up is that this is dice as i said whereas automobiles was was a bag builder you pull out a few uh, cubes and they just do what they did and this one you're going to roll the dice that you have and they'll have different effects what you're trying to do though is it comes with uh, with a couple of mats which are two-sided and you set them up and they make different uh, tracks that you're trying to race around and whoever gets around the track first and wins the race will win cubitos and as i said for there's different colors of dice you play with the same colors every game but there are there are just cards that are set up that say okay this yellow dice does this in this game or you can switch around and say like the other dice does something different and there's various colors of dice and, and you can mix them up how they come now they come or the game comes with suggested setups as you would expect from a game like this with so much variety there's one here's the easy powers this is your first game here's one that's more interactive here's one that's going to have big boosts off each other what i found is that they definitely have setups whereby you buy this dice and then you buy that dice and then you buy this dice and then they all combo off each other and it tends to be that when you have those set paths for what dice you're putting in your pool... There's one or two paths that the game is pushing you to go down. Are you going to play this way where you're doing a quick turnover and moving along? Are you doing this way? You're building up lots of currency because you get a chance each round. You're going to roll the dice. It's a push your luck thing. If you roll too many misses, then you're kind of almost going to miss your turn. But you're trying to generate movement on the board, but also you're trying to generate currency in order to buy dice. And the dice have got different values. And it's at the beginning of the game, you cannot get the higher value dice. It's not possible. And in fact, unless you really push your economy in certain setups you're not going to get the higher value dice because they're quite hard to get to so you have to really aim to get there or are you going to go no i'm okay with these lower value ones and i'm just going to try and like tinkle tinkle along in terms of movement are you trying to build up the perfect engine because you roll a set number of dice each turn you start with as you'd expect duff dice and and you can upgrade them you're trying to get something out of your pool it's a a typical sort of pool builder if you like in terms of movement you can sort of try and keep going along all the way throughout the race you're trying to build up a perfect pool in order to just. Boom! and rush it right towards the end the production is lovely there's these box things that the dice stay in and then they sit in trays on the top they're a bit fiddly to put together but they're fine they're okay but overall the art style you like it you don't but, but it's definitely done really really well and the dice are nice and chunky and everything's all good with that in terms of gameplay itself what i found was for a game that is it feels like it should be this sort of fun rolling careening around the place oh you're doing that i'm doing this i found the interaction really low now that's partly due to the play style of people i'm playing with tend to play with more strategic euro gamers but i don't think the game lends itself to that much interaction if i'm if i'm entirely honest there's really two main ways of interaction in the game one is that there are red dice in each one and the red dice are set up for interaction because whoever rolls the most sort of hits if you like or whatever the the particular variant of red dice is each round is then going to get some effect, but they usually have to give one the red dice back that they've hit with so that you know you can build up a pool of them, but it will gradually drain away. So, someone's not going to get a huge lead in like I've got seven red dice, I'll never get rid of them. Generally, it costs me one to trigger the red power, and the red power is cool. And that's one of the things you look at each other and go, How many reds you've got? You got? How many reds you got? How many reds you got? It's mild interaction, it's a little power, it helps, but you know, it's not going to set your whole game up around it. Uh, I think found the second interaction really was in scarcity of dice and in that especially the lower price ones they start running out in games because there's only so many you can buy now the game is not a long game by any means but in each game i played of it i only played it three times but in each game i played of it that there was a point at which okay that color is no longer available and and That definitely had an effect. Turn order just goes round and round. But that definitely had an effect where you're like, oh, oh, if I take this green, they can't have it. So therefore, it's better for for me, I guess, if that's what they're trying to do is have loads of greens. So those are the two ways in which I was looking at the other players, really, and neither of them felt that interactive. In terms of the racing itself on the board, there are, obviously, there's a route around the place and some of the boards become um, sort of more complicated but there are spaces that you might aim at because they'll give you boosts or give you money or, or give you something special. But generally, I, again, I didn't feel like I was interacting that much on the tracks. And the racing starts really slow. Everything starts really slow. Your money starts really low. And the whole game builds up, builds up, builds up, which is actually a good thing because it's it's getting more and more and more. And you feel like you're getting progression over this short play length of about 60 minutes. But I didn't find the tracks that interesting, if I'm honest with you. I found, and I think this is definitely a personal thing, is the way I I played it. I was just building up my engine for two thirds of the game and not really getting very far. And then suddenly when it kicked in and I had all the right colours that I'd planned to have, bang, I was off. I mean, that's okay, but for spending 40 minutes sort of going, okay, I'm just getting the dice, I'm getting the dice, I'm getting two dice, I'm getting a, and then 20 minutes going, bang, 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 Like I say, it is a progression of sorts within the game, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it was that great either. So everything in the game left me slightly wanting. There was no actual aspect of it that I thought... Oh, this, is, this is a really good racing game it's a really good pool building game it's got a really good art to it it's really interactive i sound like the string section of an orchestra there so it fell between the two stalls because for your strategic players there wasn't enough to get your teeth into on the other side of it for me there wasn't that sean's word theater that drama that stand-up roles that laughing that oh you did this oh you took that from me oh, that, that you get in the in the best of these sorts of games so at the end of all of that Cubito's was quite a big miss i don't think it's that great a game but i think that if the things i'm talking about you're like oh that doesn't bother me that much i just would quite like to roll my own dice and move around and sort of play with it a bit and see how it goes then I, it would be a couple of steps up from where it is for me it it definitely misses all my personal boxes there's just nothing really there for me so that was the big long review and i didn't really like the game so let's start on a downer and move on to well there's some ups and downs in this episode <laughs> right the next game i'm going to talk about is fired up a 90 minute game two to five players from draw lab entertainments this was designed by georgios lf 3 and theophilos kutrubis and what's it all about so in fired up there's a futuristic arena in which gladiators are going to be combating each other but this is not an arena game and it's not a fighting game the fighting happens but what you're trying to do is you're trying to manipulate the contest in order that certain circumstances happen that fit how you can score points in that particular round and there's a sort of a a little side bit of betting on longer term goals within the game so you're watching this battle take place and it's sort of like almost ai run very very simply that figures have one of the other figures in the game there's five gladiators that they point at, and they're going to attack them with their attack value and the other one's going to defend with their defend value and they'll have a speed value that one goes first and what have you So you're not controlling that as one of the gladiators, but what you are controlling is four because you get goal cards at the beginning of each round and they will say, if this happens, you score a certain number of points. If that happens, you score a certain number of points. If the character with the highest defense is attacked by the character with the highest attack, score four points. So you're trying to manipulate it so that that happens. Who you are thematically, they say you're like a premium spectator, who can influence the games, which I thought was really weird. What I've taught people as is that you're a crooked bookmaker and that basically you're trying to manipulate what happens in there by, by bribes, by, by sitting you know, there, back, the back staff people or whatever, the support teams for these gladiators and trying to get them to go a certain way and bribe them to go a certain way so that you'll make more money in your, in your bookies. That, that I think it's a better theme honestly around it but whatever, whatever draw lab you go you be you do what you gotta do as i said you get two goals per round out of four and you're trying to make them happen but the way you're going to make that happen is before the fight is at all there's a phase in which everyone has these influence dice and you roll the influence dice and then from each roll you get one we roll and then you choose a fighter and you choose a certain number of your dice that are available to you and you say i'm going to make this happen on that fighter i'm going to boost their attack i'm going to boost the defense i'm going to change their target whatever it may be i'm going to do to them but each fighter can only be influenced a limited number of times each round so it's not like you can constantly do and undo each other's turns and it also depends upon what you've rolled on the dice. Now you do it and you take one action and you remove the dice of use from your pool it goes on to the next player when it comes around to you you have a reduced pool to roll and you roll them and you go and you say right I'm going to use these dice to do that with that fighter and sometimes you're spending one or two dice at a time so that you're eking out and delaying your action so that everyone else has run out of dice and then you can sort of do the final little manipulations or sometimes you just get a perfect roll and you're like oh yeah I've got five dice here this is exactly what what i need to do and you just bang lock it in and hope that that sticks with it now with the different goals for each player as you're going through Obviously, sometimes they match with each other and sometimes they go directly against each other and you don't know what everyone else's goals are. So a lot of the game is also reading the other players and sort of sometimes sitting back and sometimes diving in, but sit back and going, oh, they look like they want that person, you know, number three to attack four. They all have names, all these gladiators, but if I start saying them, it'll be confusing. <laughs> number th- I want Speed number three to attack speed number four. And so do they. So they've done that for me. So I just ease back here and let them maybe do some of the work for me. I can get on with this other goal over here. And obviously, sometimes people will stitch you up and right as the last influence action on a gladiator, they suddenly switch its target and you're like, oh, no, you're not always screwed when that happens because it doesn't say a particular gladiator has to do something. It says the gladiator with the most or with the least or with this or in second place or whatever. So you can manipulate those factors. So maybe I could then, oh, maybe if I boost the defense of that one, it will change the order and then that will fit back into my goals. So there are ways around. Now, what I don't want to do is persuade you that this is a very strategic game. It is very tactical. It's very flexible. You have to kind of roll around what's going on and adjust. And sometimes you just don't be able to score your cards. And sometimes it depends upon also like if they... Do four hits at once now you don't know when the gladiator rolls their attack during the attack phase whether they're going to be able to roll four hits but you can just try and manipulate it so it becomes more likely than not i said there's a betting phase there's also various but not that many but various early middle and late and one of them comes out um game conditions which you can put bets on Uh, basically you bet that this gladiator will achieve this thing in the game and you do it secretly and they're gone in order and whoever bets earliest and gets it correct is going to score more points when that game condition has been achieved and like I say it's early middle and late in the game in fact we've had middle happen before early sometimes but late is always towards the end so uh, that's also something to have a little think about we are when do I go in when it looks like it's going that way but also oh, three people have bet because the game situation looks like that Gladiator over there is going to achieve the mid-game condition first. Now maybe I'll bet on another one and concentrate on changing that game state and that can score me points. So there's a little things to think about, but it's very quick and it's very just roll, go, roll, go. It moves very fast through the rounds. It really reminds me most of the likes of Unicorn Fever in that it's a sporting contest. The fact that it's gladiators fighting almost doesn't matter. It is a, it's a nice theme. It makes sense, but it almost doesn't matter. It's just a sporting contest you're attempting to manipulate via your own special powers. It's very interactive. I think that maybe do what we did is draw four goals each round because you can get stuck with two bad goals in your hand because you'll start with four, choose two, keep two, draw two more, and you know when that happens if you get a couple of bad cards you know you're just stuck with them all the game you can't you like, i can't really get that done so i would draw four each round if i were you but you know then you don't have the long-term thing <laughs> without a plan for cards in your hand find your own happy way of doing that i'm not too sure fired up is fun it does need a bit of a polish there are certain things like some of the betting conditions definitely the rule book that could do with a little bit of a of a tweak and to, to flow a bit more smoothly but at the end of the day, 60 to 90 minutes, and you have to have the right group. You have to have people that understand this isn't going to be hugely strategic. We're going to roll dice and have a laugh, and someone's going to stitch you up, and you're going to have to abuse them. But in that setting, I think it's actually a, a good game, a very good time, and well worth looking up. Fired up. Okay, third game I'm going to have a look at is dead of winter long night it's two hours two to five players from plaid hat games designed by jonathan gilmore now this is a standalone expansion for dead of winter which hugely popular game in which you're trying to keep a colony of survivors alive while there's zombies attacking both the colony and there's problems in the colony each turn you have you have got to get food you got to get fuel whatever it might be but also you've got to go out to various locations in order to collect things to become successful to achieve your own goals and the group goal but every time you move around the place there's a possibility of getting bit you control more than one character so you can find other characters you can build up a little pool of yourself if you want if you're really lucky but usually they're dying because moving around is so risky and also there are zombies attacking and various other things to do the whole thing of dead of winter is that It was intended to be played with one or two traitors. I can't remember, but then whilst I played Dead of Winter, but some traitors within the group, or you can play cooperatively, and sometimes you're trying to work out, is that person working against us or not? And if they are, they get exiled, and their game changes a little bit, and they're trying to achieve something else. And Dead of Winter Long Night retains all of that. Dead of Winter itself, I enjoyed it, but you really had to find the right group. This is more group-dependent. I honestly just said that about fired up. I'm just repeating myself again and again. It's just the nature of podcasting. But you really had to find the right group for Dead of Winter, more than the vast majority of other games. You had to have people who understood the game, who understood what the traitor was should be doing while they're doing it, and understood how to play a game like that, and enjoyed the fact that it is a very random events can happen within this struggle of a of a co-op game not everyone's a cup of tea but some people absolutely adore it and i can understand why why i've brought up dead of winter long night is because my in-laws my brother-in-law and his wife bought it because they love the theme they thought oh, this will be great and sometimes you get that insight is put on you of what a little bubble that we <laughs> live in because i mean they're both they're both lawyers very smart people they play games with us uh, infrequently but a few times a year we'll play the uh, you know, likes of azul or just one but, but stuff a bit heavier than that as well we play the hamburg with them and, and various other what well, you'd probably go light to medium games not, not too much heavier than that boy did they struggle playing this they got it out it took them two hours just to set up and punch out and work out what's going on and uh, i got a call we're really struggling with this game i was like okay next time i see you i'll grab the game with you because i haven't got dinner with i'll go through the rules and we'll come over for dinner and, and we'll teach you and it'll all be fine and they were like oh thanks you know and i thought it was going to be okay so i actually didn't give myself much time we arranged to go around for dinner and i was like oh yeah it'll be right i'll just read the rule book quick and it'll be and i started reading the rule book i was like oh i see their problems i see their issue there's loads of modules in it and at the beginning when it tells you all the components it doesn't list the modular components and it doesn't give you a way of saying are oh, these going this way i mean there's like four or five modules and there's bandits that aren't listed in the setup of the credits they're like what are the bandits there's all these racks on experiments which are you know, humans have been experimented on by the, by this big company and they become free a totally different module you do not play with it in the start game but not listed in the setup And you're like well, what are all these things cards various cards that go into all the normal decks in the game but only if you're playing with certain modules and not listed. And I was like, I I'm confused. I'm confused working this out. I had to go to the back and look through all the rules for the modules. Oh, I see. These components are for that. Oh, these bandits go here. Oh, those are particularly you know, fuel containers that only go in. I was like, wow, this is a pain for me to sort out. How anyone outside our bubble could be expected to work this all out is beyond me. And they didn't and I totally understood how to try to go through it and sometimes I think we need to have a think if they're struggling that badly to work out all the different components and the modules then it's not as simple as it should be for let's say us or people who are coming into the hobby or maybe someone who's played games for a year but they're always getting taught them because they're not the main game buyer and then they get oh actually that sounds really good and they buy it and they think oh I'm, I'm gonna you know for once I'll lead the group that can come to my house and I'll teach them a game and they buy this and it will be a nightmare for them. You can knock people's confidence. You can knock people out of the hobby or knock potential buyers of games out by, by doing this, by making it so difficult. And it was just something that really struck me that like, yeah, I, this is bad. This is not how we should do things. Make life easier for people. Have a thing in there that says all of these are modular don't worry about them here's a big bag put them all in there when you're familiar with the game then open this up here's the rules for these choose some of these to put in when you really know what you're doing to have it buried on page 20 of a 28 page rule book or whatever the people are not going to get to because they're trying to read they're used to reading a rule book and go as they go and oh let's open the rule book and play the game they don't read it beforehand They don't set everything up and run through it by themselves like us lunatics do in order to be able to teach it better. We are the few and we're completely obsessed. You know, sometimes these things really strike you home anyway what, what was really funny was we did take it over we did teach them they were like okay what happens what because it's so variable the game so we, we cut out the idea of a traitor for starters let's just play as a cop to get get the mechanisms down and then sort of yeah we just guiding them through and it's a very simple first tutorial you've got to go and get a bit of everything so it basically it teaches you to go out scavenge for stuff deal with a couple of zombies come back again i was trying to impart you know there's more to this But for now, let's just keep it real simple. Go get the things that we want to do, but not guiding people's actions in themselves. And they're like, I say, go wherever you you want to do, do whatever you want to do. No worries. Don't worry about it. It's an open game, it's your game as much as anything. (laughs) <laughs> they love the crossroads cards idea so in dead of winter the player to the right of the current player has a card in their hand and they draw it and it's a crossroads and if some game condition happens you read the crossroads card out and then the player current player has an extra story driven or event driven choice to make that they loved. They found it a bit confusing at first, understandably. But once we sort of had a couple happen, they were like, oh, okay. But then they had to be like, if Barry Duggan is in play, or if if Laura Madonahou has, has got a pair of glasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've got, you got to know the name of every character that's in play. It's a lot. But anyway, they got their head around it. My, <laughs> my sister-in-law had triggered the crossroads card. And uh, they were like, remember that prison where there was all these zombies in and, and we barred the gates? Well, it turns out some of them were broken out and she had a choice. She could uh, just run away from them. She could go and deal with a couple of the zombies that were getting close or she could charge into the prison to get riot gear. She had, I think, a nutritionist and someone else as a, as a remaining characters. And she looked at it. She was like, "Yeah, I'll just charge into the prison. <laughs> Okay, but we just need to find some food and some this and that, and uh, you know, entirely down to you what you want to do. And you've got a nutritionist and like it was a kid or something like that. So you want your nutritionist and your child to charge into a prison full of zombies that we barred because they were scary. Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, we lost the game. Yeah, because every character dies, you lose morale. Once morale runs out, yeah. And she was sort of like, oh, oh, it's like I was like, yeah, yeah, you you charge nutritionist and a child into a zombie-filled prison oh yeah that was a really bad idea <laughs> I was like, yeah well you know it turns out we were all having a proper laugh and she felt awful about it but again it's just so many times teaching them where they had these ding moments of oh yeah because they're playing the game and they're so busy sort of learning the mechanisms that in dead of winter this is when i say it's sometimes hard to get the right group it's best when everyone is just is in the moment and playing the story and sort of reacting realistically if you like not we're not superheroes why would we charge into a prison for the zombie? The laughter went on and on. She was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We're like, don't worry, don't worry. It's a learning experience. It's all good. I mean, I can't even remember saying to them, look, the whole point of a game like this is to make stories where people do things and funny things happen or bad things happen. And we're chatting about it. And look, we're going to chat about this for a long time. It's just, you know, I'm not really going to recreate in the moment, but her, her idea of charging in was, was pretty hilarious. On the other side, in terms of actually reviewing this, Dead of Winter Long Night as an addition to Dead of Winter those modules that I was moaning about that are very very confusing as to what all components are for what and where they go and what they do obviously I haven't got to them but they did really look interesting and if you're a Dead of Winter fan you've probably bought this already if you wanted to play Dead of Winter, I would suggest this one. It did seem slightly more polished, which is an issue that Plaid have with a lot of their games, is the polishing up and the final details and the making things work. It seemed that way to me, but also those expansions really seem like if you play this a few times, they're going to add variety and really mix things up. And then they they add in different locations, such as the Raxxon headquarters, where you're going in and you're dealing with these experiments and you're trying to work out what the whole conspiracy is. And that all just really... I was like, yeah, this 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 is interesting. This is sort of the ultimate version of, of Dead of Winter. We intend to go back and have dinner with them again, maybe every couple of months, what have you, and play it again and maybe get past the tutorial <laughs> scenario. But most importantly, never mind getting past the scenario is making more funny stories, which we can uh, which we can bring up again and again. So it did its job, Dead of Winter long night, for sure, but all that complaining about the barrier to entry, it's something we really need to consider. Right another expansion this one isn't standalone this is bunny kingdom in the sky it's two to five players which adds one from the original bunny kingdom it's 60 minutes long it's from yellow it's richard garfield what does it do to play on Now, bunny kingdom is a game that we've played 20 plus times we love it ellie loves it sean loves it Natalie loves it rachel loves it everyone loves it around here it's definitely vibed with us as a family as an extended family it just it keeps on getting requested and in the sky was an obvious purchase i've got a feeling it's been mentioned somewhere on the podcast before and i can't remember where and how it may even have been reviewed but i couldn't find where so do you know what i'm just going to go into it because we played it again and we gave in the sky another shot which is a few times we played with it and it's pretty bad okay what is it add? it adds an extra board which is uh, up in the sky in the clouds uh, which is full of these wondrous resources but in order to make anything on the board, which has uh, got many fewer spaces, but a lot more of the spaces, have something on them. It's a bit hit and miss whether you're going to get access to that board. It, it felt like it was extra fiddliness without too much comeback for it. They also introduced this this idea of a trading score in that you can gain coins throughout the game. And you add up these coins at the end of the game, they do a combo and in a complicated fashion, they score more points. Fiddly and not entirely something you can concentrate on and again what happens with the extra board the skyboard, and with this trading and there's some banging in the background <laughs> i told you there was builders hopefully you can't hear it too loudly is that it, it, this is a theme throughout for Binding kingdom in the sky adding fiddliness all the extra cards that it adds adds randomness because oh I, I am able to get hold of four in the sky cards on this first round but i might not see anymore because the deck's got a lot bigger so that's not something that's really helping me out i'd say it adds a couple of extra luxury resources and extra luxury resources are really important because in bunny kingdom the way you score points is by having towns in an area that are all connected but that area has to have access to resources and there are only three basic resources in the game so no matter how many towers you build in your towns you're only multiplying them by three with basic resources. All the other luxury resources you get by cards. And sometimes people can get lucky in just drawing more of those cards because there's not that many of them in the deck. You don't want there to be that many in the deck because you know they're valuable. But just add in a couple more that come with this i found improves the base game so that is that is the one thing that i will keep out of it oh in this guy also adds this idea of carota dells which is not the worst idea which are huge towns that have five towers which is more than any other but they only count as five so when you put that in an area you've got five towers no more no less that's it again that's quite interesting i didn't mind that too much like that can sort of boost up a smaller area in, in, a, in a funny little way but as an overall package binding kingdom in the sky is a hard hard pass bunny kingdom is a yes and i'm gonna say that i bought bunny kingdom in the sky so you don't have to if you're thinking about it as someone who's played bunny kingdom a lot nah don't do it don't worry about it okay let's keep with the theme of sky shall we but a completely different game a single player solo game this is under falling skies 30 minutes from cge Check games edition and designed by thomas ulir What is Under Falling Skies? It's a solo Space Invaders game. There's a mothership. It's dropping out smaller ships. The smaller ships come down the board in columns. When they reach the bottom, they're going to damage your city. Your city runs out of health. You've lost the game. Your health is a track down the right-hand side of these. You put multiple boards together to form the board that you're playing on. Up the left-hand side, there's a research track, and you're going to be taking actions with dice throughout the game, and your goal is to get your research to the top before the health of your city gets to the bottom. How are you going to do it? You're going to roll five dice. There are two white and three grey and then you're going to assign on one dice is going to go into each of the five columns which are your city but also your action selection spots at the bottom of the board now your action selection starts with a few rooms available and an excavator and one of the things when you put your dice down your excavator will move along and it will open up and make more and better and more powerful rooms available to you including rooms in which you can combo up dice and get more powerful values now moving the excavator and lots of other actions within the game require you to have power How do you do that? Well, you do that by putting dice into power-generating rooms. And the value of your dice that you put in anywhere is going to dictate the power of the action. So you can only move the excavator as far as the dice value that you've put down, so the higher ones. Uh, You can generate energy generally. It's definitely related to number on the dice. It could be up or down or whatever it might be, but it's always related to the value of the dice. And the room will tell you whether you add to it or you subtract from it. But the trick is when you put a die down any spaceships in that column are going to move down as far as you put it so if you keep putting down sixes those spaceships are going to come down very very quickly and attack your city i'll I'll mention quickly that when you roll you don't get re-rolls until you place one of the two white dice and every time you do that it forces a re-roll which is a good and a bad thing and the timing of when to place those white dice is a huge part of the game. Very very interesting part of it that you're like oh I want to place that but then have to re-roll these and these are perfect but the timing of all this doesn't work out properly. Now most rooms don't trigger immediately when you when you put the dice in there you place them all move the chips and then you trigger them at, in your choice but still it can be kind of agonizing. Now, I said that these spaceships are moving down and they're going towards the city, but you do have defences because there are rooms. You put your dice in and they launch fighters and the value of the fighters will only blow up certain ships because the ships, there's a value to each space it can be on. These these spaceships coming down and the value of your fighter has to be high enough to attack that value where the spaceship is so there's a movement aspect that as you place the dice in the columns you might be want to get that spaceship maybe even if it moves further as long as it moves on to a more vulnerable spot and you have a plan all right but i can put this into here where i launch these fighters of a value five and every other spaceship on the value five or not will get smashed back up to the mothership now that's good but the mothership's going to move down at least one every turn also when the fighters land on spots they can have effects for example move the mothership again which is terrible every time the mothership moves well most of the times it also triggers another special effect some of the fighters will then shift columns so next time you put a dice in the column both those fighters will move or three if you've planned terribly or really well depending on how smart you are if you're me not that smart it only takes one hit to kill each of those ships but they will keep coming back again and again and again there are also extra ships that can come into play that might be one-offs so there's plenty of things to think about because you're trying to move these ships down. We're well, not trying to, but they have to move down. But get them in the right spaces to be vulnerable to your attacks, but have enough energy to do all the things you want to do while you're moving your excavator to get to the more powerful rooms. And all the time, you're having to generate research because you have to do that. There's not many turns in the game that you can skip doing that at all. And there are various values on this research track. So if you've got like a 2, or 1, and a 3, if you put a 6 or manage to generate 6 research, they will jump up to 1, 3 sometimes you get very high numbers so you've got a combined dice in a bigger room sometimes you get blocked where you've got a five and you're like i've only got four dice left you won't be able to move at all you can't increment towards getting a research spot you've got to do it all in one go as you go and you get more used to the game the first thing it does is that introduces slightly more complex rules the way that introduces that is you can do things there are blue dice in the game and you can generate robots and robots become available to you when you place a dice and they are dice that are set of a value but every time you use them they tick down but you can use them around the place which gives you a bit more strategic thinking there are different cities you can defend and cities themselves have powers and in fact if you lose and a city dies you flip it over into its uh, wounded side of like i don't know what you call it, it's called but it becomes slightly more powerful and there are a few cities to play with in the setup but what the game gives you is a campaign now in the campaign, you read a little comic that says this is happening, you get a choice of cities, you choose one, the other one apparently is blown up. You can get choices of characters, you get special attack ships coming down, you get special powers, and oh, the other thing is you can set the the difficulty of each game that you play because you can flip over the the sky is made up of various boards and you can flip them over whichever ones you want. And the more you flip over, the harder the game gets because they make basically make the research track harder. So they've given you plenty of things in here to think about in each game they've given you ways to mix up the game as you become more familiar with it adding the sort of advanced rules they're really the full rules if you like and then start going into the uh, campaign and the different scenarios and your characters and characters that will come back and characters that can upgrade and all sorts of different things that can happen it needed that variety because if it was just put out uh, and i think that in the hands of a different publisher it might have been put out as just a basic game here go play it You'd have had 10 games and then you'd be like, I've seen everything I can see in this game. CGE are a very good publisher. They know what they're doing with their games. And they have, whether it's own design or whatever, but they've put it out where there's lots of variety and it needed it. What I'll say about the variety is it doesn't massively change up the game. It is just variations on a theme. Therefore, if you don't like the base play of the game, if you think, oh, if I play this a few times, and I get into the campaign, it's going to mix it up and I might like it then. That is not going to happen because it doesn't change it that much what it does do is if you like the game give you different ways of thinking about the same problems so that's just something to think about. If you play it twice you think oh I'll keep playing through playing through. It won't mix up that much. But I think that most people I mean if you're going to know if you'd want to play a solo dice placement game, if you do want to do that you're going to find a lot in here. I think it's very well done. I think you're constantly thinking, you're constantly rethinking, you're constantly oh, I'll place this dice. Oh no, it's a white right, dice. That'll make me re-roll this one so I have to place this one first. But that doesn't work out properly. Where's that robot I had? Ah, he's gone too low. He's got down to a 3. Oh why why, why are you now a 3? Yeah, you're gonna be shouting at yourself as you play Under Falling Skies, and I think it is well worth a look. Plenty of content, plenty of plays. It's gonna keep you entertained. So, Under Falling Skies, get a recommendation from me. I got two more to talk about, and they're not the newest games in the world. So there you go. The first one is Tyrants of the Underdark. Now, Tyrants of the Underdark is a two to four-player game. Did they say 60 minutes long. I don't think it's 60 minutes long. I play this a lot of times i don't think i've ever played it in 60 minutes It's from gale force 9 it's designed by peter lee rodney thompson and andrew veen it's from 2016 the original one it's what it is is a Dungeons and dragons themed game in the underdark which is where the dark elves the drow live and it's a deck builder but with that debt building, what you're doing is trying to... Uh, you're a family and you're trying to spread out. There's a war and you're trying to control areas. And if you know anything about the law of the Underdark, you would recognize the names of these places. They're all very hard to pronounce. And I know a, a, a tiny bit about d and law. Not a lot. And even I recognize one or two of the names. Right. Why is it currently come back into my mind? Well, we've played it a couple of times recently. It is one of Ellen's favorite games. And Girl Force 9 announced a second edition. Apparently, Time Standard Arc has been impossible to get hold of. They've all sold out and what have you. It hasn't been reprinted for a while. There may be reasons behind that. First of all, is that they didn't do a very good job printing the expansions it comes with four decks it came I should say with four decks in the game and they printed as part of two expansions four extra decks but they came with different color cards <laughs> to the base game cards so I spent a lot of money on black card sleeves I don't usually sleeve my games in autumn but so we can make targets that playable well that shows you that I spent a lot of money because we like it a lot and that it does get played in this house to reprint my understanding is what they've done with it is hopefully all the cards will be the same color you'd think so they've put two of those expansion decks in so now you have six decks in the game what you do for each game is you mix two of them together to make the the market of cards that you draw from and they are thematic and each of those six decks will will have their own little way of working in there be it vampires or be it the undead or be it cultists whatever it may be each little deck has its own particular slant it puts on things it might add insanity to other people's decks it might be either a dragons that, that build up their hatchlings and then become very powerful dragons in the deck and if you can get like say all the white hatchlings and the white younger dragons and the big white dragon they will all chain together and give you a way of interacting with the board the other thing i think about I think about. I do think about things. The other thing I've heard about it is that in the original game, you got these little plastic shields that represented your soldiers or your power on the board, and the, and also the neutral powers that you have to remove. This time, it's going to be all cardboard chits. And now I'm not usually that fussed by components the little shields were weird when i first saw them but now i'm quite attached to them it might be that i've played this game a lot so the chits for me was like oh okay i'm not I'm not sure that's an upgrade but it turns out the game's going to come in a much smaller box and a much smaller price point of only 50 dollars in america which i know that americans get crazy discounts on all their games anyway they wouldn't expect to pay 50 dollars. so it's becoming more available so i thought since i have played it i'd mention it again it's part of the dungeons and dragons line of board games if you listen to me you know that i think it's a very underrated line of board games i think they don't just do the standard thing i think they do interesting stuff and this is one of the games i think that sometimes might have been overlooked just because it has dungeon dragons written on it i think it's going to be well worth a look and it's one of those games that you kind of think, I really enjoy that. And maybe you don't play it for a year. You think, is it as good? And then you go in, you go, oh, you play it two or three times more because it's really enjoyable. It's very interactive. It's very clear what people are doing. There are various ways of scoring points. Yes, controlling the board scores points but also building your deck because every card you bring in scores your points but also there's a way of taking cards out of your deck and put them in your inner circle because each card has two scoring options on it and if you put it in your inner circle it scores even more points but you need to have bought the cards to promote cards into your inner circle and there's various ways of playing and reacting to each other and you can't just let someone run rampant on the board but maybe you're going to play with spies because you can throw spies in which gives you access to areas of the board that you haven't got militarily but you can then spring up in someone else's area and start causing them problems you can defend against that by not allowing there to be spaces in your but you know there's plenty to think about so tyrants of the underdark is going to become available again soon if you haven't played it or if you heard me going on about it it's well worth a look at i think it's a very good deck building area control game and our plays just seems to time nicely with the re-release the last one i'm going to talk about now this is a bit of a, i said the times the Underdark was hard to get hold of there's a whole story about solarius mission two to four player game Two hours long, from Spielwerks, designed by Michael Keller and Odie Odendahl. I'll talk about the game, we can talk about its availability, and I'll try and be quick. It's a, it's a science fiction game in which you're spreading out from your home planet. All of you are, from one planet. There's a modular board with loads of hexes on it. And on these hexes, you've got planets and portals and commercial hubs. There's always one action die available per player and they go on this, this wheel and the longer an action die has been available for, the more bonus you're going to get for choosing it. If you want to choose a brand new action die, it's going to cost you something and the way that is, is that you take a die, you do stuff with it and then you roll a new one and put it on and the wheel moves around. So that's what drives each of your decisions within the game. The action dice are all a colour and they correspond to tracks that the players have in front of them. When you take the dice, basically you can take resources that link to the colour of the dice, or you can take special powers like boosting all your die results because there are special sort of asterisks and you can change the value of those on different colours by boosting up one particular track. Or you can increase your storage for resources because collecting resources is going to allow you to build things out on the board also the more you have scores you more points you're going to need more in order to do the more complicated scoring mechanisms and your storage is limited at the beginning of the game So it's a basic thing you do with your dice is take resources or boost yourself up a little bit then you've got two options you can either move or Or don't move, your spaceship on the board as the second part of your action. If you don't move, you can improve your engines if you've got the ability to do so. Meaning all your other move actions subsequently are going to be boosted and you're going to be quicker, which is fine. Or you can get a card. And when you get a card, there's two ways that you can choose by playing them. And that is the third thing you do when you don't move is play one of these cards. You can play it as a sort of dice manipulation usually power or something that gives you a little extra bonus as you play the game or you can play it out as a mission which is one of the more complicated ways of scoring points i was talking about you're usually going to have to have boosted up your stories to a certain point or have a certain number of something or whatever it might be but you're going to have to use your powers to boost yourself up in order to complete the missions which can score you lots of points and also will give you board presence so let's talk about board presence quickly on your moves You can move up to your engine size, which should have been boosted by not moving sometimes. Then you can, that's a hammer right next to my head. And then you can interact with wherever you've landed on the board. There are planets. You can flip a planet and you can choose to take it, which will give you something to try and achieve to score points. You score points for having sets of planets for doing them themselves. Or you can take resources available on that planet if you wish to. You can also build space stations. You get a set of six, you can build four of them. There's bonuses for building them. There's different shapes of them. Build them in different configurations, which will boost various things, which will let you get better as you go on. When you do missions, you can place a marker again, will boost you up. And you're just generally going from very simple actions to boosting yourself up via in various ways getting bits of your wood on the board you want to have different bits in all the different six outside sectors because it's built of seven sectors this board you want to be near commercial hubs there are six commercial hubs one per outside tile only four of them are going to activate in the game and they get revealed once per turn there's four turns in the whole game and the presence you have adjacent to the commercial hubs that are in the game will score more points so point scoring opportunities become available during the game and you're racing to get to Planets ahead of people, to hubs ahead of people, to whatever it may be. But moving's tight because if you move, you're taken away from the other options you can have. But moving's good because it lets you build space stations. But you need the resources to do that and it all triggers off each other in a way that when you start playing you're like i'm not gonna be able to do anything in this game and then by the time you get into round four you're like i do this i do that i put that down that flips over i've done that and everyone else goes how did you do that i've got this card and that power and i've boosted brown up to four and okay okay and everyone's got their own combination of powers going on all the while while dealing with space contamination which comes into you and clogs everything up and you have too much it causes you problems but you can increase your storage for it it's, it's basically like yeah something that slows you down during the game okay i hadn't played solaris mission before it's become a grail game why has it become a grail game because Spielworks, run by one person uli he does a certain print run for his games, he brings one out at Essen each year, and more now. He's more active. I have to say, I've met him, I chatted to him, I sat down, I spent some time with him at Essen. He's a lovely, lovely man. So I'm slightly biased towards him just for the fact that he's a really nice guy. He's been in this business forever, and when he does his games and his run, his initial print run, what he then tends to do, I think, always is. If other publishers are interested in publishing his game, he licenses the rights to publish out to those other publishers and says, Sure, if you want to make more, you go and make more. I'm going to move on to, to making this next niche euro, slightly odd game that I think won't find a huge market, but I think is interesting enough to bring to the market and try and get more attention. And that's generally what he does. In this case, he licensed Solaris Mission to Flying Lima games and they ran a Kickstarter campaign and then they disappeared. And I I don't know how much I'm allowed to say because I know there's certainly legal challenges and stuff going on, but there's been I, I, what I read, there's production updates production has started, production has started, production has started over months and months and months new update production is about to start two months later production is about to start two months later production is about to start I have read on Board Game Geek and I've you know, whether well, this is true or not, this is just a position. Someone's opinion is that uh, the owners of Flying Lima Games removed their names from everything related to it and then on Facebook posted that they bought a new house. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, it's all on Board Game Geek if you want to go have a look. Definitely, the people who back this Kickstarter are not getting their game anytime soon and probably not from Flying Lima from what all the information is at the moment. Who knows? So I'm sorry if you back this and me talking about it is bringing some pain to you because it's a good game and I can see why people really want it. And it's a shame that it's very difficult to get hold of and it's not my copy, it's my friend Steve's. Uh, I think I might break into his house. Anyway, it's it, the whole game is a puzzle, but it doesn't feel flat. It does feel like there's player interaction, you're racing each other on the board. When people take a certain dice, it really hurts you deep within your core. The only thing really I could say that I really didn't enjoy was that with the commercial hubs for scoring more they you, know, only, you only know one of the six that's going to score in the first round and then two and then three and then four it can luck people into a few points and it's quite a tight game we have had it to be quite a tight game and if I happen to have built around somewhere hoping that that one's going to flip and someone else built around another one hoping it's going to flip and mine flips and theirs doesn't I've scored points unfairly so I would rather either those hubs were open up and everyone can see them or all commercial hubs would score. There must be a reason that these guys are good designers, they know what they're doing. There must be a reason why they only flip one each round. I just didn't enjoy it, and I I wish there was another way of doing it. The whole feeling of it being impossible to gradual understanding and gradually feeling powerful is a lovely arc to have within a thinky strategic Euro game. It needed a better rulebook. Other than that, it's really good. So I just hope and pray that either Flying Lima... Gets this sorted out, and it's all been a massive misunderstanding, which doesn't look that likely. Or somehow, someone else picks this up. Obviously, if anyone who did back the Kickstarter can get something out of it, that would be amazing. Uh, again, whether that will happen or not, who knows? But Solaris Mission, a worthy Grail game, and I really enjoyed it. And if you get a chance to play it and you like longer, thinkier Euros, give it a shot. Okay. That's all my thoughts and games I've played. I'm going to very quickly run through some games that have come into my collection and then a couple of games I backed. It's a while ago now. I don't know how interesting that is that I backed Kickstarters a while ago, but here you go. What have I got? Apollo. Again, Jonathan Gilmore, who designed Dead of Winter Long Night, two to five player, 60 minute game. and It's a co-op in which one player is mission control during an Apollo space mission and the others are playing the crew and problems are coming up and between mission control and the crew you have to deal with problems Sean bought this for me he kickstarted it it was for my birthday last year I think so he's amazing and I'm looking forward to getting into that and again you'll probably know that I love those sort of limited tight communication teamwork games i just find them really enjoyable embers of memory i was forced to buy by my youngest daughter caitlyn because it is themed around the throne of glass book series by sarah j maas so i was told to buy it so we could see what it is i literally knew nothing about it. i knew it's from osprey when it arrived i realized i did know what it was because it is ravens of three sashiri rethemed repackaged and brought out as a tutorial system if you like whereby you play very very like almost sort of an aspect of the game not even the full game and then it says once you've done that you understand you move on to second phase okay we've slightly built on those rules and third phase we've built on those rules and each game you play teaches you the full games of ravens of three sashiri again if you've ever listened you know that i adore ravens of three sashiri and i played it with the quite confusing original translated rules and we had to get a head around it but after dozens of plays we have got a head around it so i love the game the fact that caitlin wants to play a game is great i think she finds it a bit confusing but she loves that it's the characters that she knows and recognizes from the book series my thoughts i guess later on once we really dig into it but that's come in dominant species marine i mean there's two games now that i'm gonna do what came in that i'm both incredibly excited about this is the two to four player sequel to my favorite game ever which is dominant species so i'm adoring looking forward to getting into Dominant Species Marine and finally destinies. Destinies is from Lucky Duck if you listen you know that Lucky Duck and us uh, we know each other right from when their first published game I happened to talk to them at UK Games Expo and for whatever reason we hit it off myself and Vincent and we've always been chatting and see each other at conventions and they're lucky enough well, we're lucky enough that they support us a bit with games they didn't support us with this game as it happened because I'd already backed it but what they did was they sent us a promo scenario the first scenario ages ago before their Kickstarter campaign I talked about it before their campaign. I loved it, genuinely loved it, enough that myself and Sean both backed it. And we were like, no, don't worry, we don't need a review copy. We're backing this. This is wicked. So that's coming. And I'm super excited to get that played as well. Uh, and the last show I'm going to talk about very, very quickly that I backed is Stellaris Infinite Legacy from academy games a 4x sci-fi game which they have called this the first of the infinite legacy system they reckon in which you're going to play and the universe is going to change but it's non-destructive and it's non-linear and it's player driven and players can drop in and out of the campaign it's very ambitious academy games have got a strong record so i went with that my last one is valeria the card game dark rachel loves valeria the card game i like it as well don't get me wrong but what this does is it adds an ongoing story and turns it into a co-op from daily magic games and i backed that as well i'm looking forward to that coming in that's me for this episode i hope you enjoyed it i hope you're looking forward to sean and matthew joining me next time out and this has been the game pit podcast if you want to have a chat with me it's the game at gmail.com or chat to me on our guild on board game geek or follow our twitter account which is where we're most active and we are proud members of the Dice Tower network so head to the dot in order to get amazing gaming content thank you music by e aaron